0: everybody. Josh Peck here. Welcome to JPD Weekly. Um, today I wanted to talk about an ancient prophecy from the book of Enoch. Uh, and what's cool about this prophecy is it's not just the Ethiopic translation. Um, we actually have fragments of it from the Dead Sea Scrolls, so I wanted to talk about that today. We don't have all of it, but we have enough of it to show that um, the Ethiopic is, is probably correct. But it's interesting because the Dead Sea Scroll version gives us a little bit of extra information on, on some of this. Uh, so this prophecy is sometimes called the Apocalypse of Weeks. And we can use it with the um, the Dead Sea Scroll calendar to find out what's really going on here. But um, th- this isn't as much of a new calendar, um, The the Apocalypse of Weeks thing, it's not so much a calendar in itself as it is uh, just another way to kind of measure time, uh, another way to split the um, the totality of human history uh, into what's called weeks. Um, so these weeks uh, each have 700 years, so each 700-year segment is a week. Meaning every day is a hundred years. And they, the, the Essenes had this idea that the totality of human history would be 7,000 years. So usually that's split up into ages. There's, uh, four ages. You you could say three and a half because each age is 2,000 years except for the final, um, uh, the final like jubilee or, or the final Sabbath age that one is only a thousand years. That's the millennial reign of Christ, um, and we've talked about that quite a bit on this channel. So I'm not going to rehash all that. So what this what this prophecy is? It's another way to split up the same period of time, the same seven thousand years. So. Again, this prophecy, it's called Enoch's 10 weeks or it's called Enoch's uh, Apocalypse of Weeks. And when you go through it, it's actually pretty accurate, which is, is uh, it, it gets really interesting around week seven and week nine. And I, I really want to, I want to briefly go through weeks one through six. Then I want to spend some time on week seven because that's the one that has caused uh, the most trouble. It, its It's the most difficult to nail down what it's talking about. Um, And I I have a really cool story on how I I believe I I was able to, well, I don't want to take credit, you know, to God goes the glory, but um, that that the answer was presented to me. I'll say it like that. So this prophecy comes from the Book of Enoch chapters 91 and 93, if you're in the Ethiopic. Uh, If you're in the Dead Sea Scroll version, it's uh, column four. Four, I believe, and uh, we'll we'll go through that, or, or it might be three and four. Um, but we will. Let me see here. Well, we'll go we'll go through all of it, and I'll tell you the chapters and verses and all that. But we do have again some fragments of the prophecy from the Dead Sea Scrolls to compare what we have from uh, the Ethiopic version. But we don't have the whole thing. Now, if we're understanding this correctly and using the Essenes understanding, uh the Dead Sea Scroll version understanding of ages, if we have this right, then we can actually lay out all 10 weeks in a chart and show what years they actually deal with. So the first week, it's... uh Year zero to seven hundred, if we're speaking A.M., uh, which is Anno Mundi, which is from creation. If you're talking B.C. and A.D., then it's uh, th- three thousand nine hundred twenty-five to three thousand two hundred twenty-five B.C. Um, so you would just add seven years or seven hundred years for every week after that. So week two deals with um, seven hundred to fourteen hundred A.M. or 3225 to 2525 BC, so on and so forth. I won't go through all of them, but, um, you know, some that might be of note is uh, week six, which from the creation of the world, it's year 3500 to 4200. But with our BC AD, it's uh, 425 BC to 275 AD. So, you know, if we know what happened around the year zero, you know, there was no year zero, but the time between 1 B.C. and 1 A.D. Uh, if you can think about something that happened around that time, maybe having to do with um, with Jesus, then that might give us a clue what week six talks about. Uh, but this goes through all the way until, interestingly enough, uh, 3075 A.D., That's the end of the 7,000 year, according to them. According to the Dead Sea Scrolls, that is the end of the last week, is in 3075. And then you know what that means. If there's a thousand year reign of Christ before the new creation, um, then subtract, you know, a thousand years from 3075, and what does it give you? It gives you 2075. So uh, we could start to see the beginning of the kingdom age in our um, lifetime, uh, possibly. Uh, and, and we're going to talk about some things because there, there's a lot pointing to the year 2025 with this kind of stuff. Again, I don't want to predict the rapture or anything like that. Uh, and I, I want to be careful on how we talk about those types of predictions. Uh, we don't want to set dates. but But again, there are some dates that we might want to take a look at. Now, what's amazing about this prophecy is its accuracy. Again, we don't have the complete prophecy in the Dead Sea Scrolls, but we do have enough to compare it to the Ethiopic version of Enoch, and they match considerably well. So it just stands to reason if um, if the parts that we have match, then probably the rest of it would have as well if we had the whole thing in the Dead Sea Scrolls, but it's been lost to time and degradation uh, just from sitting in caves for 2,000 years. Um, uh, but the, the translators of the Ethiopic version for for them to make up the prophecy, they they would have had to know exactly what parts would be discovered among the Dead Sea Scrolls and what parts would be lost to time and degradation. They had no way of knowing that. So, you know, that would have been impossible to know. So if, if what you have, you can compare and see that it's right, stands to reason the rest of it probably was too. Now, study... A full study into this can be really extensive, and uh, a whole book could be written about just that topic, but I want to look at just some of the basics to show its accuracy, Um, and then I want to focus in on Week 7 and Week 9. So uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls provide us with Week 1, the first half of Week 2, the second half of Week 7, and then Weeks through 10, uh, and then a little bit after in full. So we can fill in the rest of the weeks with the Ethiopic version. So explaining the first week and part of the second from the Dead Sea Scrolls, the book of Enoch states, and this is, again, right from the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls, it says, when he was delivering his letter, Enoch resumed his speech and said, I, Enoch, was born on the seventh day in the first week. So if we do our math, the seventh day in the first week would be, uh, sometime after, like sometime after the year 600, uh, after creation. And until my time, justice was still strong. After me will come the second week when deceit and violence will increase. Now, some translators render it as if Enoch was saying that he was born the seventh in a genealogical line during the first week, because some render that as he was born the seventh in the first week. But it, it, that's interesting because um, in actuality, both of those views is correct. He he was the seventh in his gene, genealogy, but he was also born in the seventh day of the first week if we're measuring weeks as segments of 700 years apiece. Um, so if we do the math, we discover that Enoch was actually born uh, in the year 622 a.m., And actually, if you want a really good timeline for all of these things, when the patriarchs were born, uh, you know, according to Genesis and Jubilees, Enoch, uh, you know, all these other church fathers, all these other sources, um, go to BibleFacts.org. Dr. Ken Johnson has um, a tab on there that says Timelines. You scroll down a little bit and click on Timelines, and it'll bring up a Google Doc, and it has all of these, and he's, he's done amazing work into that. But, um, but we discover that Enoch was actually born in the year 622 AM, which would have been in the seventh day of the first week if each day is a hundred years. Also, Enoch was the seventh generation from Adam. So either way you render that in the translation, it works. Now, uh, we're given the first few words of the second week from the Dead Sea Scrolls, so to understand what's being said about the entire second week, we can look to the Ethiopic uh, version, uh, which is where – it's the same place that we'll get all Ethiopic translations from this prophecy. It's from Charles's um, – Um, translation. It's just called The Book of Enoch. You can find it at en.wikisource.org slash wiki slash the underscore book underscore of underscore Enoch underscore open parenthesis Charles close (laughs) parenthesis backslash chapter underscore 93. After a while uh, I realized that is a long address but I figured we were already in it so may as well go for it. If you just type it, you can just Google you know, The Book of Enoch and, and You'll, it'll come up, and, and you can read it for free. But that version from chapter 93 and verse 4 says, uh, And after me there shall rise in the second week great wickedness, and deceit shall have sprung up, and in it there shall be the first end. And in it a man shall be saved, and after it is ended, unrighteousness shall grow up, and a law shall be made for the sinners." Now this this is talking about the events that lead up to the flood. This is not the flood. This is a little bit before the flood, but um, there obviously was a great deal of wickedness caused by fallen angels mating with human women. We get that from Genesis six one through four, uh, and that, that the, and there was a first end. But we're you know we're. We're not exactly sure what this is because the flood would have happened in 1656 AM, but this week concludes in 1400 AM. So it's possible that the first end doesn't have anything to do with the world, but with the corruption of humanity in the days of Jared, which we actually get from Enoch 6 6. Uh, and that would fall in that timeline, the, the days of Jared. Also, the it after, uh, from, from the quote, after it is ended. That might be talking about the wickedness rather than the second week, and if that's the case, this could be looking ahead a bit past the second week. So Noah was the man who was saved, uh, though rather than describing the flood, this would be referring to him being saved from the fallen angels and Nephilim giants that were on the earth in those days and that whole that whole thing. He he was he was saved from that. Um, unrighteousness rises up. Uh, and so there's a law for sinners, which might be what Noah was preaching during his time. Second uh, Peter two five, before the flood was announced. So uh, there's some uh, brief history. Again, at first read, when you first read it, it sounds like it's talking about the flood, but I think it's actually talking about the uh, days of Jared and the the, the fallen angel excursion. Um, week three, Enoch states, this is from, uh, this is the Ethiopic, and, and it'll be the Ethiopic for a while because now we're in the area that we don't have Dead Sea Scroll fragments. We don't have that again until the second half of week seven. So uh, from now on uh, until week seven, it's the Ethiopic. But this is uh, Enoch 93 5, and it says, And after that, in the third week at its close, a man shall be elected as the plant of righteous judgment. And his posterity shall become the plant of righteousness forevermore. So this is important because th- this only discusses the close of the first week. It doesn't. It doesn't really discuss the third week. So that's that. That might be why the description of the second week might bleed over a little bit into the beginning of the third. Uh, so that's a possibility. But this this part of the prophecy only talks about the third. So we we could consider the flood in this. Uh, and then that that's also how maybe you might be able to consider the flood in the prophecy of the second week because it does it does say things like after that and all that stuff. So that could be, but um but either way, uh near the close of the third week, the only man that this could be referring to is Abraham, the father of the Jewish people. But what's important is this also tells us that the term plant of righteousness actually has to do with the Jewish people. Uh, and that that will be important because it's gonna come up again. We want to know what the plant of righteousness is, and so now we know. Um, now, describing week four, Enoch says in six, uh, And after that, in the fourth week, at its close, visions of the holy and righteous shall be seen, and a law for all generations, and an enclosure shall be made for them. So the event, the events that best fit that description within this time period are the exodus and the giving of the law to Moses, uh, and the children of Israel. So Moses definitely saw visions of the holy and righteous on, on Mount Sinai. And the law for all generations is the Torah. And the the, the enclosure is most likely referring to the, the first entrance of the promised land um, by the children of Israel, since that falls within that time period as well. So that's week four. Week five uh, is Enoch 93, verse seven, which says, And after that, in the fifth week, at its close... The house of glory and dominion shall be built forever. Now this could be describing Solomon's temple, which would have been sometime around twenty nine thirty five a.m. However, it says at its close, and that's most likely referring to the second temple, which would have been built in 34 a.m. And then the house of glory and dominion shall be built forever. Um, we've talked about before, on this channel, how there is a heavenly temple and the heavenly temple and the temple in, uh, Israel seem to be linked, even to the point where, um, the Essenes at least believed that you, you had to perform rituals on exact perfect days because those were the days that they were being performed in heaven, or at least the spiritual counterpart to them. And they had to, they had to match up. They had to correlate. They had to be on the same day. Um, so that, that, House of Glory and Dominion will be built forever. That could be referring to the Heavenly Temple. Um, um, could be referring to Solomon's Temple in, in in a way that it's going to be rebuilt at some time. So you know, there's a little there's a little bit of wiggle room there on how exactly to understand that. But within that time frame, um, you do have Solomon's Temple and the Second Temple within that week. But since it says at its close, it's most likely talking about the uh, the Second Temple. Now, uh, Enoch 93.8 tells us about week six, and it says, And after that, in the sixth week, all that live in it shall be blinded, and the hearts of all of them shall godlessly forsake wisdom, and in it a man shall ascend, and at its close the house of dominion shall be burnt with fire, and the whole race of the chosen root shall be dispersed. And again, that's Enoch 93.8. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. So, remember, the Dead Sea Scrolls were written at least one or two hundred years before Christ, um, some probably longer. Now, it might be easy to make everything up before the sixth week because it's history, but the Qumran community would have had the Book of Enoch prior to the birth of Christ. Um uh, Destruction of the temple and scattering of the Jewish people among the nations. Yet, as we can plainly see, this is what's being described in week six. Uh, you know, we can just go through it again. Um, Those who live in it shall be bl- blinded. There is, there is a large apostasy going on at that time. The hearts of all of them shall godlessly forsake wisdom. And clearly that happened. Uh, they forsook wisdom. They they crucified Jesus because of that. And it says, "And in it a man shall ascend." That's Jesus. And at its close, the house of uh, dominion shall be burnt with fire. That's the temple, uh, and it was literally burnt with fire. And the whole race of the chosen root shall be dispersed. That's the Jewish people, and they were they were dispersed. So again, while we don't have the exact Dead Sea Scroll fragment of week six, we have the other fragments that confirm their, uh, the, the Ethiopic version is, is at least pretty close. So because the Ethiopic version words it this way, we can safely assume the Dead Sea Scroll version would have as well. And, uh, you know. Lastly, what what's really interesting about that is, again, the Dead Sea Scrolls. They had the Book of Enoch at least a couple hundred years before Christ, probably a lot older than that. Um, so they wouldn't have been able to just make that up. Um, now we can see that all of that's being described in week six. Uh, this is also where we make the switch from BC to AD in our current system of recording years. So you you know you have you have that that's that's like week six is the Jesus Christ uh, week. All right. So now week seven, this one was uh, really difficult. This, th- this was probably the most difficult to identify as week seven. And as far as I know, I don't think anybody else has come up with what I'm going to um, present to you here. Uh, so if it's wrong, you can blame me. <laughs> if it's right, then you can give credit to God. Uh, so, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take credit if it's wrong. But Um, I haven't heard anybody else make a case for this specific thing, but the more that I looked into it, the more obvious it it seemed to be. So week seven, the Ethiopic version says, uh, and this is from Enoch 93, 9 through 10, And after that, in the seventh week, shall an apostate generation arise, and many shall be its deeds, and all its deeds shall be apostate, and at its close shall be elected, the elect righteous of the eternal plant of righteousness, to receive sevenfold instruction concerning all his creation. Now, what we have from the Dead Sea Scroll version says this, and again, we only have like the last half of it, but it says, uh, But all their deeds will be at fault. At its close, the chosen ones will be selected as witnesses of the justice from the plant of everlasting justice. They shall be given wisdom and knowledge sevenfold. They shall uproot the foundations of violence and the work of deceit in it in order to carry out justice. And uh, that, again, it's uh, 4Q Enoch, column 4, verses 11 through 14. So... Now, as we can see, we are given a little bit of extra information in the Dead Sea Scrolls, but it pretty much maintains what the Ethiopic version has. Now, many have assumed that um, verse 9 from the Ethiopic version here that says, and after that in the seventh week shall an apostate generation arise. Many people have assumed that that's talking about the Catholic Church and the Dark Ages. And, you know, there's a case to be made from that. That very well could be. Um, Islam was also around at that time. It was founded exactly in that time, so it could be Islam. Uh, but to narrow it down, we have to identify the other group mentioned called the, cho- the chosen ones who are selected as witnesses of the justice from the plant of everlasting justice according to the Dead Sea Scroll version. So the Ethiopic version translates this as the elect righteous of the eternal plant of righteousness. Now, this is why week three was so important. Remember from week three, the plant of righteousness has to do with Abraham and the Jewish people. So uh, we should be able to find, and this was what was difficult, and I think this is why a lot of people go to like a Catholic thing or an Islam thing, um, because it's hard to find a lot of like, what what would this be you know we we should be able to find a sect of jewish people that were called out from the majority of other jewish people of this time that had something to do with uh wisdom and knowledge or an instruction concerning his creation um so this should be a substantial change from the norm at the time as it's described as a sevenfold instruction and again wisdom and knowledge sevenfold now uh I want to tell the story about kind of my journey through this part of the prophecy. I remember months ago um, from the time of this video, this was months ago, I was kind of puzzling over this prophecy. I could not figure it out. Um, I was listening to uh, Dr. Ken Johnson's work because he's got a really, really good video. Uh It's just audio only, but it's on YouTube uh, on Enoch's 10 Weeks. And I, I think he nailed it on all of them. But even this one, even this one, he admitted he didn't know. He didn't know what it could be, but he believed that it was true because, excuse me, um, because uh, all the others were were so true. Um, and you know, I've I've read a lot of blogs and articles, and a lot a lot of them go go to the Catholic Church. And I, I originally thought that that might have something to do with it. I, I believed that. Um, it might have something to do with Catholicism of that time and perhaps, uh, maybe the iconoclast movement having something to do with idolatry since it's, uh, since it was occurring during that time period. Now, another thing too is at that time, I only had access to the Ethiopic translation. I was not aware of the slight differences and additions that are found in the Dead Sea Scrolls version. So I even emailed, um, uh, Ken, uh, Dr. Johnson and I emailed him kind of some of my thoughts what I was thinking at the time uh, though admittedly I was not convinced of this myself like so I, I was presenting this interpretation but even to me it was like I I don't know so so I'll read you actually a little excerpt of that email um, uh, this is just an excerpt it was a longer email but but just kind of the crux of what I was getting at is uh, I wrote you know the only thing I can find that remotely fits this second that remotely fits this, is the Second Council of Nicaea, which actually had seven sessions, each one ending with a determination, so literally seven distinct teachings or instructions, so sevenfold instruction, and it all related to the veneration of icons, or what we might go as far as to say the veneration or worship of idols. The second commandment says not to make worship uh, and serve any graven images of, of anything in heaven, earth, or in the sea. Basically all of creation. So maybe that's the all of creation part. Now the second council of Nicaea determined the veneration of icons was acceptable. So that's odd. Uh, that wouldn't seem to fit. But what if the ones who determined that were part of the apostate generation and the instruction... That the righteous were receiving concerning all of creation, the sevenfold instruction was actually a bad instruction from the apostates about icons or, or, or idols, rather than it being an instruction from God. So, is it possible that the instruction the righteous received doesn't come from God and is not a good instruction? So, it's a reach. It's a it's a big reach. And and again, like I said before, I did not have um, access. To, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls version of it, which the, the Dead Sea Scrolls version seems to, uh, again, imply that this teaching is something from God, about God. You know, it, it seems like a good thing, basically. Um Because again, it says the chosen ones will be selected as witnesses of the justice from the plan of everlasting justice. They shall be given wisdom and knowledge sevenfold. They shall uproot the foundations of violence and the work of deceit in it in order to carry out justice. So that to me doesn't sound like they're receiving a negative instruction. It sounds like they're receiving a good instruction. So so even, even from the Ethiopic version, though, and that's the Dead Sea Scroll version, but even from the Ethiopic, I, just, I wasn't really convinced even after I sent it. I knew that I needed more study. Uh, but at the time, I felt like I exhausted all my options. So the, that interpretation, it did not seem right, but I simply did not know else, where else to look. Uh, and, you know, with that kind of stuff... You know, I've learned throughout the years that the best thing to do in those situations is to just put it in prayer, leave it to God, and wait on him to reveal the answer if he so chooses. So that's what I did. Months later, though, actually up until the day before the time that I actually wrote all this down, uh, so this was just a couple of days ago. uh, In fact, I was writing on the 10 weeks prophecy of Enoch, and I stopped after week six and the end of the work day that day had come, but I knew that the following day, which, which I knew that the following day I was going to have to deal with week seven, but I did not have an answer for it. And I didn't know what I was going to write because uh, it's part of a book that I'm working on, but um, I, I didn't know what I was going to write. I didn't want to write the Catholic thing because it just didn't feel right. Uh, I was probably just going to write something like, you know, basically what Ken did is, and just say, I don't know, you know, I, I, I believe it. I believe something happened, but we might, I just don't know what it is, but I didn't like not knowing. I didn't, I didn't like that there was one of these weeks that didn't have like a very obvious answer. Um, and I, I, again, the icon interpretation, I, I didn't, I never felt like was really complete, so I didn't want to offer that as a valid interpretation. So I, I was ready, again, I was ready to just admit in the book that I didn't know and then move on from it. But that night, uh, I was I was uh, getting ready for bed. Um, Christina and I usually uh, will watch some sermons or something before bed, uh, and I was getting ready to sleep for the night. I had on a series that I had been watching during my downtime by Dr. Chuck Missler, uh, which if you guys aren't familiar, look him up on, on YouTube. He was a brilliant Bible teacher. Uh, he went home to be with the Lord in May of 2018, but the series was on the book of Colossians. So... It had absolutely nothing to do with Enoch, nothing to do with Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, had nothing to do really with anything uh, about Enoch or the 10 weeks or prophecy or any of that. So, I was about halfway through the series, probably around session four or five, and then all of a sudden, just like at random, but it was still too precise to be just chance. This was this was a God thing. The answer about uh, Enoch's seventh week came right on the screen. It was just like right there, presented to me, just given to me. But the funny thing is, Dr. Missler was not teaching anything about the Book of Enoch, and th- there wasn't any indication that he even knew that this teaching had anything to do with uh, that prophecy in the Book of Enoch. So... I paused the TV after his explanation, and I'm going to get to that in a minute. But I paused the TV. I turned to Christina, my wife, and I, I said, that's it. That's Enoch's seventh week. And uh, so I quickly made note of it in my phone for the following day, and then uh, I turned back on the session. Um, but I had the answer, and I was excited. So about an hour later in the in, in the next session, another interesting bit of uh, seemingly coincidental teaching came up. Uh, Dr. Miss- Missler started um, – Describing a practice that, you know, every Christian should begin doing, uh, in light of a familiar Bible verse, John 14, 26 that says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I, uh, have said unto you. So, uh, Chuck Missler suggested that anytime you come across an unfamiliar verse in the Bible and you don't know what it means, pray to God for the answer, remind him of his promise in John Fourteen twenty six. That you know, the Holy Spirit will teach teach all things, and then wait. Um, after praying and while you're waiting, uh, Doctor Missler said to keep record of the verse in a personal journal for later use. It's just for you. No one else is going to see it. Although. I, I'm putting this out here, but but he uh, he said it likely won't happen right away, but eventually that God will reveal the answer to you. And it, it'll most likely be un, an unexpected way. So you might overhear a conversation or a thought might come to you while you're eating dinner or something like that, but somehow God will provide the answer. And when he does, uh, um, Chuck Missler said that, that what, what you do is you find that spot in your journal with your original question and write under it how God taught you the answer and then keep doing that. And he said that the reason for this is because there will be times we as Christians are going to go through doubts and difficult times. And when those times come, pick up that journal and read through the many ways that God has tutored you throughout your life. Now, What's amazing about that is unbeknownst to Dr. Missler, he just happened to say this right after he inadvertently gave me the answer to a question I had been spending months trying to find. He was one of those unexpected ways that the Holy Spirit was teaching me. And then the Holy Spirit confirmed it by saying that, you know, by by Chuck saying that next thing about writing it in a journal and keeping track of how the Holy Spirit will teach you. So that blew my mind. Uh, Dr. Missler recorded those sessions over a decade before God used them in my life. And I'm sure that God's used them and used those recordings in various ways through an untold number of uh, lives since the time of their recording. But because of this, I decided to take Chuck Missler's advice and record this story in the book that I'm writing and in this video that I'm recording. And and hopefully that will, you know, not only be an encouragement to me should I ever run into my own season of doubt, but that it'll also be an encouragement to others as well. Uh, So hopefully you guys will be able to get something from that. You know, we may not always be able to recognize how God is teaching us things throughout our lives, but we can be assured that he is. And we also may never know how God is working through our lives for the benefit of other people. But again, we can be assured that if we follow his desires rather than our own, um, he can use that obedience in really amazing and impactful ways. So all that being said, uh, here's, here's what Chuck said. So so Dr. Missler was discussing the history of the uh, Karite Jews and as he was explaining how they were formed and what they stood for, I realized that this, th- th- this was an excellent fit to week seven of Enoch's prophecy, the whole The whole history, the story of the Karahite Jews, how, how they got started. So, you know, do, doing this video now, I find it funny that I, I had actually briefly mentioned in another video when we went through the history of the Sadducees and stuff, I had actually briefly mentioned a connection with the Karahite Jews and the Sadducees, uh, which You know, at the time of this recording, that was weeks ago. And it's funny because had I continued on that trail of research, um, I might have come to the answer of Enoch's seventh week back then. But, you know, the Lord has, has, has his perfect timing for everything. So it just wasn't the time for that. Okay, so there's some debate as to when Karahite Judaism first sprung up, but most agree that it gained a substantial foothold somewhere between the 7th and ninth centuries, which would fit perfectly within the time frame of Enoch's 7th week. Because we're dealing with um late into the 200s to late into the 900s. So it fits perfectly in there. Um, and this is how one online publication words it. And this is from... MyJewishLearning.com, but about the Karahites, it says, Led by a Nazi prince claiming Davidic lineage, the Karahites attracted many scholars of distinction in biblical exegesis, law, Hebrew lexicography, and philosophy. So originally, the Karahite Jews branched off from the mainstream Talmudic Jews of the time. So basically, like almost all the Jews at that time were Talmudic. And this small group broke off from that, and that's the Karahite Jews. And they absolutely rejected the, no- the notion of oral Torah. And instead, they preferred to recognize the written Torah as a supreme authority in religious law and theology, even borrowing some of their traditions, get this, and some of their interpretations from the Essenes, uh, you know, among other ancient uh, Jewish groups. So it's believed that Karahite Judaism formed as a reaction to the rise of Islam, which is interesting. But but if – so they basically wanted to go back to Torah. They rejected the Talmudic stuff. Uh, they, they rejected Oral Torah. They just wanted to go back to Torah. Now, they weren't Christians. They were still Jewish. But, um, but they wanted – they were basically doing it like the Essene way, except for the Essenes – by and large, uh, accepted Christ. Uh, but that aside, the, around this time, um, it, it's believed that this this was formed also as a reaction to the rise of Islam. Now, if Islam is the pro- prophesied apostate generation, and I actually am not convinced that it is, but let's let's just let's explore that for a moment. If Islam is the prophesied apostate generation from week seven, and, if, and then if Karahite Judaism rose up as a reaction to it, then the Karahite Jews could be the elect righteous of the eternal plant of righteousness. This uh, would not mean that they themselves were righteous in the sense of following Christ, but compared to what uh, just Jews in general, pl- the plant of righteousness, following mainstream precepts of Judaism by elevating oral Torah and the Talmud above the Torah, uh, you know, compared to what they had become, the, the Karahites could be the ones called out of that group, elected to go back to the Torah only, and through that, uh, Torah only, and then through that, that's how they received their sevenfold wisdom and knowledge. Uh, this would have been a great amount of wisdom and knowledge compared to that which was found in Talmudic Judaism of the time. Because again, Talmudic Jews, uh, they, they elevate um, the the Talmud is like the written version of the Oral Torah, so they they'll they'll lift up what ancient rabbis have said. Like the the it, it's sort of like taking your Bible commentary and then lifting that above the Bible. It, it's sort of like that, uh, but that that's what they do. So the Karahites rejected that idea, and uh, they decided they wanted to stick with the Bible, uh, and, and they didn't. You know, they they would consider commentary, but but that it wasn't above the Bible, and it didn't dictate how how, we're, how we have to interpret things and stuff like that. Now, on the other hand, though, getting away from the Islam thing, verse 9 of the Ethiopic version, that might not be describing Islam or Catholicism at all. I think there's actually a, a much simpler um, interpretation. That might be describing Talmudic Judaism itself. Because remember, uh, and we did a video on this a while ago, but this form of Judaism, Talmudic Judaism, it sprung up after the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D., it was formed from surviving pharisees so when we look through history ancient pharisees were certainly violent uh, one only needs to read through the pages of the four gospels to discover that fact um they were certainly violent they uh have a tradition and a history of violence so if talmudic judaism uh formed from ancient pharisaical judaism uh and, and if if that's the apostate generation then it would make sense how the Karahite Jews would fulfill the rest of that prophecy. So again, if if the Talmudic Jews were the apostate generation, that's the apostate generation that rises up, just like you could say the Pharisees were the apostate generation that rise up in the time of Christ. But if, if if that's the case... Um, then we we can see how the Karahites would have fulfilled the rest of the prophecy, because not only were they given a sevenfold instruction concerning all of creation, which again, that would have been gained by putting the Torah, including the book of Genesis, which is all about creation, um, that would have been gained by putting the, the Torah and the book of Genesis, you know, including that above Talmudic interpretations and traditions. So not only did they get it from that, but also by rejecting the traditions of the Pharisee-turned Talmudic. Uh, Jews, So they, they would have fulfilled the last part of the Dead Sea Scroll version, which states they shall uproot the foundations of violence and work and the work of deceit in order to carry out justice. Now notice it says uproot the foundations of violence. It's not saying that the apostate generation is necessarily violent, but they have a foundation in it. So, so we're not saying that the Talmudic Jews were necessarily violent, but the Pharisees, that their foundation is where their foundation is, they were violent. So it's saying that this this group is going to uproot the foundations. They're going to uproot uh that 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 foundation, that tradition of, of violence and then and the work of deceit. And why do they do it? They're doing it in order to carry out justice. Now, the foundation of violence um and, and works of deceit, again, that would be found in the Pharisees. So by rejecting Talmudic traditions, the Karahite Jews would have been uprooting that Pharisaical foundation. Other translations translate that final part as to pass judgment on it rather than to carry out justice so to pass judgment on it. Now, given that, we can definitely see how the Karaite Jews passed judgment on Talmudic Judaism. Um here's uh what an uh an online source again. This is uh Oh, you know what? The the first thing that I said about that was from Jewish Encyclopedia. This one is from My Jewish Learning. But it says um the best part of the Karahite intellectual effort was directed at proving the errors of the Rabbinites. That would have been the Talmudic Jews of the time. Their critical acuteness and thorough knowledge of rabbinical doctrines ensured the high level of their polemics. In their religious attack, or and their religious attack was accompanied by bitter social criticism of the Jewish leadership, the exilarchs, and the geonim, I'm probably saying that wrong, uh, heads of the academies, that's what that means, and the dignitaries which surrounded them, end quote. So this is why, in my opinion, Enoch's seventh week is uh, likely not describing Catholicism or Islam at all. Though, admittedly, that's still a possibility, still could be that. But I think a, a far more likely and simpler explanation of the entire seventh week is regarding the rise of the Karahite Jews uh, Judaism, uh, the Karahite Judaism, uh, the, the the elect righteous of the eternal plant of righteousness. That, that's a small subsection taken out of a larger subsection of something Jewish. Um, and, and that's why I, I kind of lean away from the Catholic and Islam stuff, because this seems to be because of the plant of righteousness and all that stuff. It seems to be talking about Jewish things here. Um, and I believe that that was done. God used that to pass judgment against the Talmudic Judaism of the time, the apostate generation. And he did this by offering uh, Karahite Jews a sevenfold instruction, wisdom and knowledge, uh, which they got through putting the Torah first instead of Talmudic traditions. So we can even see um, historically that Karahite Jews, because they were so different and set apart, they actually enjoyed protections that Talmudic Jews did not. Um In in different countries and stuff. So it's possible that this was part of that judgment from God against Talmudic Judaism. And in a a similar way um, that the destruction of the temple was a judgment against the Pharisees and Sadducees, it'd be like a similar kind of thing as that. So deciding to go back to the Torah and rejecting Talmudic tradition could have been, you know, enough – doesn't mean they were saved, doesn't mean that they were accepting Christ or anything, but that could have been enough for the Karahite Jews to escape that particular judgment. So the battle between Talmudic and Karahite Judaism seems to be the most likely fulfillment of Enoch's seventh week. So that, to me, was pretty mind-blowing when I came across that, uh, and I thought that was really cool. So uh, uh big thank you to... Uh, um, you know, Chuck Missler's ministry, Chuck, Chuck Missler's ministry for continuing to have those videos available. Um, but yeah, so, so I thought that was, I thought that was really interesting. Um, I'll tell you what, we got to go to members only, and then we're going to deal with weeks eight, nine, ten, and then what comes after. And you, you, you want to stick around for week nine, because that involves our time, and I want to show you how I believe that it's pointing uh, specifically to the year 2025, this is going to blow your mind. But we're going to do that in members only, so uh, if you haven't had a chance, head on over to dailyrenegade.com, get a membership today, it is only $10 a month or $100 a year. If you want to try it out before uh, you support the ministry, then you can get a uh, free trial and it's uh, seven days. So you can try it out. You can get the rest of this episode for free. There's nothing stopping you. Um, and uh, then if you like what you see, if you want to, if you want to help out the ministry and contribute and, and help us in our mission to uh, disciple Christians and bring the gospel to the world, um, then you can uh, get a membership and you'll have access to all of our videos and everything that we do. We're adding some more, uh, some new shows, which will be good And, uh, we, we have a lot of stuff. There hundreds, hundreds of hours of content that's not available anywhere else. Um, so yeah, head on over dailyrenegade.com. All right. If you are a member and watching this on the website, then hang on the line. Everybody else viewing for free on YouTube. Thank you so much. And, uh, we'll see you over at the website. Take care. God bless.